long, dark nights have come to an end, and now it is a spring. And so, as we're thinking about, that's where that word Easter comes from, thinking of looking to the east with the coming of the light, with the rising dawn, the rising of dawn. Have you ever, have you ever watched a sunrise? Have you made that effort to get up early and to find a good vantage point and watch the sunrise? I know many of us have had that experience, getting up in the blackness of night, standing, shivering in anticipation of what you hope will come soon. But it seems to get colder. The night gets blacker. And perhaps you've had that thought run across your mind, you know, perhaps today will be the day when the sun doesn't rise. The wait becomes interminably long. But then there's a glimmer on the horizon. There's a lightness that starts to spread. The anticipation builds. The brightness grows before, wait, just there. On the, on the, on the horizon, there is a, a little sliver of light peeking over the horizon. And the light grows and the dazzling brightness continues to emerge from the darkness. And before long, you can't even look at it directly because it starts to hurt your eyes. The air starts to warm up. The shivers fade away. And the beauty of the new day dawns. It emerges with singing birds and chirping insects. The landscape is lit with newness of the morning as a new day is established. And the, this dawn, this this newness, this, the rising of the sun reminds us. It reminds us of Resurrection Sunday. This experience of darkness to dawn reflects that of our own human experience of seeing the hope of Christ dawn from the depths of darkest night to the most brilliant sunrise. A sunrise like no other when the sun rose from the dead. We're going to look at the big picture of this sunrise across the sweep of history. We're going to look at three eras of human existence from the deepest night to brightest sunrise. And we're going to do it by surveying the Bible, flying across its pages and diving in at different spots. Just wait. The first era of no hope plunged into darkness. Adam and Eve knew true despair. They had it all, a beautiful life in the presence of our glorious God. They had true innocence and purity in God's presence. They had a, a garden. They had good work to do. They had a nice place to live, but it was all wrenched away by their own stupid choices. Their own selfishness and independence lost them paradise, plunging them into darkest night. God pronounced those awful words where he said, where he said, um, the remote control's now working. <laughs> I'm putting words into God's mouth. Uh, this is, God pronounced these awful words. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, 
for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God cursed mankind to hard labor all the days of their life before unceremoniously returning them to the ground. God exiled humanity. The Lord sent us out from the Garden of Eden. He drove us out to the east of the garden and he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard to the tree of life. We were exiled. And that was the sorry story that began humanity. Barred from access to the tree of life, cursed to hard and hopeless life that would come and go like dandelions, as it talks about in the Psalms. As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and the place knows it no more. This was the new normal for humanity, fleeting lives full of toil and pain and despair. And the best that anyone could hope for was that their life might be better than others and that they might experience some joy and happiness in their life before their inevitable death. God tells us, the soul that sins shall die. All humankind, ever since the first sin of Adam, have inherited a sinful nature like ours. From beginning to end, we have all been infected. It's, it's, it's like a genetic disorder that gets passed on from one generation to the next. So each of us sprouts up, stained by sin, and then we die in sin. So why bother with life? Why care? Why try? Death is an inevitable end for all of us. The only thing that is better about life is that you're not dead yet, as the teacher of the Ecclesiastes says. He says, this is an evil that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. As far as anyone knew, that's what was in store for people. A good, live a good life, as good as you can have it while you can. Enjoy yourself now, and try and avoid God's wrath, and then into the grave. This is how many people approach life even now. Live it up while you can. Try not to get into too much trouble and then die. What more can we hope for? We are sinners and our race has been exiled from God's presence because of our rebellion. We have been barred from the tree of life. All we have to look forward to is the return to the ground, to dust, to the corruption of our bodies. And this unsurprisingly leads us to ask, is there another way? Is there more that we can hope for? Is there a way that God's curse can be undone? Is there a way that the tree of life can be made open to us again? Is there a way for us to live with God? One way that people think is the answer is just try harder. You pull up your socks and try really hard. Maybe then, if you do enough good deeds, you'll be able to outweigh your bad with good. Buy feed enough homeless people. Open enough doors for old ladies. Go to the church enough times. 
say the right rituals and prayers. Maybe that will cut it. Maybe that will be enough. No. Same outcome. All die. So how can this state of humanity be reversed? The ancient people of God, the Israelites, they asked this question. After countless failures of trying to live the way that God called them to, they wondered, what will it take to reverse death? They asked, how long, O Lord, will you hide your face forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, for what vanity you have created the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Sheol meaning the grave. Will you hide yourself forever? How long? Who can deliver this soul from the power of the grave? But there were glimmers of hope, a coming light. These people of God, the Israelites of old, they looked to God for rescue. They knew that if anything was to be done to reverse the human condition, God would have to do it. They didn't know how. They didn't know when. But they knew that he could do it. God showed his people glimmers of a death-free life. A fellow named Enoch, he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Another fellow named Elijah, he walked with God and God swept him up to heaven by, with a chariot of fire. God gave them a taste of resurrection or, or a life without end. And we saw the occasional miracle where somebody would come back to life. But unfortunately, even those people who were raised back to life from the dead would once again die like Lazarus. But God showed his people his power. He rescued them from slavery. He gave them a beautiful inheritance. He acted to protect them from their enemies. He even tried to live with them and dwell with them in their midst in a temple. But their sin kept getting in the road. They kept dying. But maybe there's more. Maybe there's a way past these roadblocks to life. The songwriters, they hoped for the undoing of death, knowing only that the one who hopes in trusting God could have hope of overcoming death. Psalm 16, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. King David, the, the author of this song, he looked to God in trust and hope. He knew that God, if anybody could deliver him from death, it was God. And he could trust in him. As well as David, that ancient sufferer, the man called Job, he too hoped that death would not be the end for him. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I, I all, all, all over the place this morning. Steve, you'll just have to do it. I, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, 
and my eyes shall behold him and not another. My heart faints within me. He hoped, he looked beyond hope that he would once again be able to be, see and use his own eyes even beyond the grave. To have eyes that look to God, his redeemer, after he was redeemed from death. God responded to these hopes and prayers. He answered his Old Testament people to tell them, I will deal with death. He gave messages like this through Isaiah the prophet. You might not be able to read it there, but I'm going to read it out. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all the tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And once again, through the prophet Hosea, he says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? God promised to deal with death. There was hope. There was glimmers of hope that God could deal with death. But if you remember what I said before, the cause of death is sin. So in order for God to deal with death, he also needed to deal with sin. He had given Israel a foreshadow of how he would deal with sin through the picture of atonement. He needed to deal with sin through atonement fully and finally. And God promised to do it through the prophet Jeremiah. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The day is coming when that God had promised to those Israelites. The day would come when, when they would all know God personally, and where they would have their sin forgiven, their iniquity taken away. As you can see, I've been hopping all over the Old Testament to see this story unfold. This story took centuries and millennia to unfold. It took a long time. And anticipation for the climax of this story had been building and building and building. And they were waiting and waiting and waiting in the darkness, waiting for the light of dawn. As we've seen, there are pieces of the puzzle that are scattered all over the place. But nobody knew how they would all fit together. They didn't know what was in store for them in death, except that death was not ideal, and that somehow, some way, God could make things right. The people knew that God had been faithful to fulfill his promises in the past, and he could be trusted to do it in the future. They knew that God would come through for his people. He would deliver, maybe not in their lifetime, but he would do what he said. There was hope in the midst of their own lives, which came and went like the grass of the field, in the midst of their own sin, in the midst of their toiling and their pain, in the midst of their despair, there was still hope on the horizon. That hope 
was the sure and steadfast hope, the sunrise. God didn't leave his people hanging. At exactly the right moment, he sent somebody to take care of things. And his name was who? What was his name? Jesus. Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the son of God. And God sent John the Baptist ahead of him to get everybody ready to prepare the way and say, look, he's coming, he's coming. And Jesus brought all the hopes and promises of the Old Testament into a clear picture. He showed how all the puzzle pieces fit together. He taught people how he would undo the problems that separated them from God, how they could have eternal life, the life that they desperately longed for. He walked the streets of Palestine, teaching and instructing his people about how eternal life was not a pipe dream. It could be secured. He said in John chapter 6, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And in John chapter 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus came proclaiming this message that by trusting and believing in him, by taking hold of him by faith, that you could have eternal life. These people who trusted in Jesus, they can be like Job. And in the end, stand on their, in their own body and with their own two eyes, behold God. But how? How could he do this? Why would looking to Jesus be any different to looking to any other Messiah figure that had come before? Plenty of leaders, plenty of rescuers had come before, but they had all died without bringing people to paradise and eternal life. Well, Jesus was the redeemer that Job spoke about. The one who would redeem and purchase God's people from the grave. He was God himself who had come to undo the problems that separated humanity from God. Jesus, son of God, came to open the way to God, to cleanse people from their sin, to overthrow death and give them rest. He was the one who would reveal to us God's face so that to see Jesus is to see the Father. Jesus is the one who came to ransom people from the grave. Jesus is the one who came to take away our reproach. He is the one who was God himself come in the flesh to save us. He is the one who would take away the sting of death, the one who would not be abandoned to the grave. He was the one who would enable us to know God. Jesus is the one who would take away our sin, forgive our iniquities. Jesus himself had no sin. He was perfect. He was not born in the usual way because he was born through a miraculous conception. He was born a man and he was born God, the God-made man. He was free from the inheritance of sin. God incarnated into human flesh, able to live as a man, but to live the faultless life that we could never live. He was obedient to God in every way, perfect in every way. He did not need to die because he didn't sin. Yet, Jesus went to die in our place and to make atonement for us, as we saw on Good Friday. 
death is the penalty for sin. And Jesus took all of our sin on himself, taking all of the penalty for our sin. But he did not stay dead because he would not be held by death. Having paid the debt of our sin, having made atonement, death was also disarmed. It was overcome. Jesus himself was the perfect sacrifice who provided full payment for that redemption. Jesus' death was a victory. And he rose to life, showing us that he had undone the power of death. It was now harmless to God's people. And so with relish, we can say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus rose as the first fruits of resurrection. He is the first of God's resurrected people. And all of God's people will one day follow him in coming to life again and never dying again. The resurrection is like a confirmation email. You know, when you do your online shopping and you put in your credit card details and then you sit there anxiously waiting. It's like, was this website a scam? Was this website a scam? And you get that, note, that confirmation email come through. We've got your order. You know, the check has cleared or the credit has cleared. Jesus' resurrection is like that. One musician said, when Jesus rose, we all cheered because it means the check cleared. It's the sign to us that the payment was accepted and that death has been overcome. Jesus has paid for the goods and the goods are about to be delivered. We can wait impatiently for the package to arrive. We haven't got a tracking number. We don't know when it's going to turn up on our doorstep, but we do know that payment has been received. We do know that the goods are coming. And that's where we live right now, in this age where we have seen the sunrise and when we have seen God has delivered his people and we are waiting for the fullness of it to arrive, the fullness, the final consummation. But Jesus has gone before us to show that death is now disarmed. We can face death knowing that death is not permanent for us. For those who want it, for those who trust God for it, they can have eternal life. We don't need to despair the grave. The despair that Adam and Eve brought into the world has been undone. Life can be eternal once again. And Jesus brought this light to the world once more. He has secured our hope. He has given us a beautiful day to look forward to, like a glorious sunrise that introduces a warm and beautiful day. The rising of Jesus from the grave introduces a new age where life and light will reign Jesus' resurrection has brought meaning to our lives. No longer are we to here just to have a good time until we die. We're here preparing for a beautiful eternity and inviting other people on that path to come and enjoy that eternity with us in the presence of God where there is fullness and pleasures forevermore. We're helping others prepare. There is an eternity in the pit if you still want it, if you want the grave, if you want death, if you want to reject the source of life. But you don't have to. Seek out the eternal life that Jesus offers for those who believe in him. Our eternal life is not one of disembodied spirits playing harps on clouds. Our eternal life is 
life. We are made as embodied beings. And so when the present age has passed and God gives us resurrection bodies, we will be embodied people who live on God's good world and who have good work to do and who can enjoy Him and live in perfection with Him. We can live real lives on a real earth face to face with our real Saviour. When we may die before that day has come, as have all the generations that have gone before us, but our spirits, if we belong to God, will go and wait with Him. If we've entrusted ourselves to Him, we will, we will go and wait with God till He fully and finally undoes the problems of sin and Satan that have been introduced to the world. God will remake the world. He will make a place for us to live together with God. He will open to us the tree of life once again. John gives us a prophetic glimpse of this in the Revelation. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of a city, of the city, this is the, the great, beautiful city of God. And also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. There is our hope that we will once again be able to partake of the tree of life and to dwell there in the presence of God forever. No more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Christ rising from the dead heralds the new age where the kingdom of God is established forever and ever. The sun has risen. The darkness is being banished. But where does that leave us? Well, we are the prayers of Psalm 16. We aren't there yet with our resurrection bodies, but we have seen the resurrection of Jesus. If not with our eyes, we have, we have seen the resurrection of Jesus in the pages of Scripture we know that eternal life has been secured. The fact that there is no body in the tomb. You cannot go and find Jesus' body. You know, even now they are, you know, English uh, historians, they'll, be, they'll go and dig up a car park somewhere because they, they've read in their, their histories about so-and-so, the king was buried here. And they can go and they can dig up the car park and they can find the, the body of a king that was once buried long ago. But nobody can find the body of Jesus. No matter how many people have looked for it over the years, it cannot be found. We know that Jesus was, res was resurrected. We have the story the, of multiple eyewitnesses that he has been risen from the dead. Even if we know hardship and death in this life, Jesus will not abandon us to the grave. He rose from the dead and we can rise from the dead too. We will not see corruption forever because Jesus was not abandoned to the grave. 
We can look to God like the saints of the Old Testament and find our peace and security with him, knowing that because Jesus has secured a life, eternal life, we will join with him with joy and pleasures forevermore. This life will have its ups and downs. We will still experience the lingering effects of a cursed world, but the confirmation came through. Jesus rose from the dead, and now we have a sure and steadfast hope that we will follow him. And right now we are to look to our Saviour in expectation of what is to come. We find our security in him. We should pray and believe these words. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One, Jesus, see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand of pleasures forevermore. I pray that you will know this sunrise, that this will be your reality, that you will be at the right hand of God because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you will dwell with him forevermore. Not because of anything that you can do or anything you've done before, not because of your family, not because of your, your gender or your status in society, not because of anything about you except that Jesus has rescued you from the grave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please make this our reality, that, that you would make known to us the path of life, that we would dwell in your presence where there is fullness of joy, and that, you, that we might dwell at your right hand where there are pleasures forevermore in and through our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for raising him from the grave. Thank you, Lord, that there is victory over Satan, sin, and death. Thank you, Lord, that there is new life in Jesus Christ.